Sweet. Well, welcome everybody to Creep Time, the podcast. We have a special guest on, Coco Moco. Hi. I Hello. I'm so doing? excited to have you. Oh my God. Hi. I've wanted to have you as a guest on here, but Stu and I, we very rarely do guests because we've tried it once and it's, re- it's really hard to do three-way podcasts, I've learned. So I was like, let me do like a creator one-on-one. Because it's just hard, like, conversationally, because you never know when people want to, like, jump in. But I'm so excited to have you. Welcome. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and I could see the three-way, like, podcast being hard if the audience doesn't know whose voice is who. But when it's two people, it's easier to bounce back. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like a it's like a little audio conversation. It's so much easier. But it's so exciting to have you. I Just to give everybody a little top line on Coco, you are huge on TikTok. You have almost a million, no, seriously, you have almost a million followers. How would you sort of like piece together what you do? Because I have my version of like how I would describe you, which is kind of like a pop cultural media zeitgeist, but how would you describe what you do? Yeah, no, I think what you said is like perfect, but I like to say um, a media professional since that's like my career background and Mm -hmm. just really like I like to focus on trends and um, from a digital media perspective like people focus on trends in fashion or these things but for me I really like focusing on like social media platforms where they're headed and how that influences everything else I was I was like curious about you and I wanted to ask you about this because I as I'm watching you like when I first like discovered your page I like really thought I was like she understands the microcosm of social media so well that I was like how long has she actually been in this field I was like because I work with some people like senior people in media who really don't have a finger on the pulse like you do I mean did you have a big background in this prior to working in it thank you yeah I um I kind of discovered it on accident like so when I was in college I um majored in marketing and minored in sociology and poli sci and so I always knew that I wanted oh, to wow. do something okay I think the sociology one like always helps me um, seeing things from a macro lens. But I just I knew when I left college, I wanted to work in marketing. And I always say like I would have taken a job running the Instagram of a lawnmower company like I didn't care. I just wanted to get into marketing. And then I was living at home with my parents for like a year and I saw a Craigslist ad and it was it didn't say the company name, but it was like we just need someone to run social. Um, and so I replied and it ended up being famous birthdays. Yeah. <laughs> Which oh, is so, okay. Yeah. So random, but like that, so it was famous birthdays. They were in Santa Monica. I got the job. And from there we were interviewing a lot of like YouTubers and at the time musically stars that it then transitioned into TikTok. And so I was learning a lot from them. And like, also when I was younger, just in middle school, I was like obsessed with MySpace and like why certain i was like learning to code i was just i was always obsessed with like we all people... were weren't we like we were like little right? hackers <laughs> like... yes I, like the myspace to tiktok or pipeline but um i think, <laughs> I think just... eventually we'll end up back we'll, like, right revert. yeah probably i've always been obsessed with like where people are putting their attention and why and that's kind of how i describe it so yeah when i was at famous birthdays i learned that i was kind of good at like predicting what was going to happen so um like the first person that was really big that i invited in was charlie d'amelio and at the time she had like fifty thousand followers and um i was the first person to reach out to ask to interview her and her youtube interview was just in all the videos we've done with that that family like the Mm d'amelios they did so well that at the time because they had just become 
famous, we thought that there was something wrong with the algorithm. We're like, why does this video have 40 million views? Like, what is happening? But it genuinely was just they were huge and deserving. So, yeah, I, it was there that I learned, like, I was inviting people in that I was like, okay, I think I have, like, I think I can monetize this skill. I'm able to see things before they happen. And then from there is when I got picked up to go work at BuzzFeed, which is where I'm at now. So, yeah, I've always been into it, but it was kind of an accident that I fell into the entertainment side of it. I had no idea that you were there working for Famous Birthdays before that. And you were actually like early on in the scope for Charlie Jim. I just found out that a good friend of mine was like the babysitter for the D'Amelio. They're from Connecticut. And oh I grew God. up in Connecticut. So she was like over on my couch, my friend. <laughs> and we were just having a glass of wine. And for some reason, we were at some point, we we're talking about TikTok. Yeah. And she brought up the D'Amelios. She's like, oh, you know, I used to babysit for them. They're my neighbors. Oh. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Oh my God, I love everyone. Just That is so funny. Everyone has like six degrees of separation to them. They're just so I know, now. yeah. Everyone's like all like kind of weird cousins in a way. That yeah, is wild. Right. So on TikTok, you had mentioned before that you were doing tarot before you were actually doing sort of media and pop cultural commentary. This was like, how long were you on TikTok before you transitioned? Yeah. Um, so I was, so I was using it for work and I kind of had an account where I wasn't posting mm -hmm. and I just had to like, I literally just got paid to like go on and see what was happening and report back. And then I, like me and my friends, we'd always been into kind of like the woo woo stuff. And so I had a tarot deck. I saw some people doing it and I was like, I kind of want to make an account. Like I love doing this. It's kind of what I do now, but like just giving advice, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. And um, so I made an account and I think I had it for like a year before I switched to what I'm doing now, but I had gotten to like 500,000 followers. And then I just, just realized that just on tarot alone. Yeah. But Whoa. right. I mean, that's pretty yeah. impressive. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it, it, they, there's a huge audience there, but I realized that it was becoming really like oversaturated. And like I always say, I'm like, there were 15 year olds who were doing it better than me, like pouring their heart out into readings. And I'm like, I just cannot give a message that hasn't already been given in a great way. So I was like, mm -hmm. I actually just took a break from like TikTok posting. And um, then it was just one day randomly, I, I was getting ready for a meeting and I just had this feeling. I'm like, I kind of want to talk about how I think Tumblr's coming back. And I was not thinking my audience would care because they were into tarot, but um, I posted my first ever video talking about the where I thought the media trend was going, which was towards like the Tumblr grunge. And that video, like I was in the meeting and it kind of started to blow up. And then from there, I just never looked back. And I, um, and that I think it's what I was truly meant to be doing the whole time. It was just what I always did at my nine to five. I just never thought anyone cared. So that was in like late August of this previous year. And then the last few months I've just, it's kind of felt like a whirlwind. So yeah. Like late August of like this, this summer, this past summer. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like late August, early September that I started posting. And it's kind of funny too. Cause like wow. sometimes yeah sometimes i'll hear like or i won't hear i'll see comments that are like oh she used to do tarot like why should we trust her and i'm like honestly i get it like always be skeptic of everything but the funny thing is i 
I was like my first ever video switching my content changing my niche got like over 4 million views and I'm talking about marketing I'm like maybe that's why like I proved that I can I can change an account from a really specific niche to something else off the bat like so it kind of gave me even more confidence that I was able to do that Wow. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I had no knowledge that you had this whole background because to my purview and like honestly everybody that I know who knows your account, they know you as, hi, I'm Kokomoko. I've made a career in accurately predicting trends in media. Yes. So I've, I've always figured that was like your go-to, but it's it's true. Like when you tap into your niche and like what you know the most about, people really kind of, they like germinate towards that. They're interested in what yeah. they think is expertise always. I know you say never an expert, but... That's yeah, so fascinating. Ready. So have you ever felt like trapped in a certain type of content? It sounds like no, if you were able to like fully pivot your account from one to another. Yeah, I think honestly, and, and it's funny because I have this conversation with people all the time at like at, just at my work is always like how to pivot, like how do I pivot? Um, I I have felt trapped, but I think that I always like it's not necessarily trapped in a certain niche, but like in certain um, formats, like saying like, mm -hmm. you know, I think anyone who makes TikTok videos knows that like you have certain taglines and like sometimes I yeah. grow tired of it. Yeah. And I'm like, if I'm tired of it, then my audience is also going to be tired of it. Or if I don't have fun filming, they're not going to have fun watching. So sometimes I do feel a little bit like I need to pivot and I try to give myself grace when my new videos, if I'm pivoting a little bit don't do as well because I'm always like behind every one successful format is like 30 failed videos that got you there. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, I, I have felt stagnant, but it's not necessarily in a niche. It's just in like wanting to present information in, in a new way. Trying out different formats. I think um, that's so interesting you say that because I feel that very much the same. And you actually spelled that out and articulated it so well on your TikTok because you talked about the rubber band theory, which I don't necessarily know always applies to like a particular personality or celebrity. I think it does, but I also think it can apply to like how we format our content. Like for so long, I had done like different styles where it was like, let's look at the top three, like, I don't know, like scariest, like facial reconstructions or something for, for dead bodies, like something spooky like that. But after a while, you can almost tell when the audience gets tired of it and they want something different. So then I was like, well, let me yeah. try like just straight true crime. And then I got tired of that. And I was like, well, let me try creepypastas, like telling scary stories. And that like was breathing new life into my account. Like I had never seen before off of like fictional stories, which I, I never had any interest in doing. So I started writing them. <laughs> I was like, cause well, cause it's so fun to do, but like, I never thought that the audience would, would jive with something like that. But Brittany Broski was talking about this recently, I think on age three or something. And she mentioned like, it's been difficult for her speci specifically because everybody knows her as a funny mm -hmm. personality. Mm -hmm. um, so when she feels like she kind of deviates from that content ever, she feels a sense of like, um, I'm paraphrasing, but she feels like a sense that she's letting the audience down or that people still have this expectation that even when she's being serious, she's trying to be funny. I'm curious, yeah. like, have you seen that with other creators? Do you think that's a real problem for creators? Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's fascinating your story too. I, I wanted to ask you, so I'm glad you explained it because um, I thought that was really interesting. But, um, and I always say too, like with, I think what happens when you feel a plateau as well, it's like you've hit everyone who will be interested in that topic. Like say you make videos like about mm -hmm. candles, like you're obsessed with candles and you've made so many videos about candles, you had a good run, you hit 300,000 followers, and you just notice you're not getting followers anymore. It's like, 
you anyone who's interested in candles has probably seen your videos like the algorithm has shown them like you have hit that threshold and so sometimes pivoting a little bit it helps you get i say like on the algorithm of someone else um but yes in terms of pivoting i think it's even harder with bigger people like britney broski because they have such a um it's i think that there's more pressure on them to stay a certain way and especially when there's like money involved mm -hmm. and brains involved and stakeholders involved, they, it's harder for them to pivot. And I think it's why you see so many big creators like Brittany Broski, Chris Olson, who have these like spam accounts that also go viral because yeah. I think they feel like they can't muddy the waters with who they already kind of are. But I because also- Brittany never posts on her spam account ever. Like, right. I mean, as far as like, as far as brand deals go, like specifically right. those brand deals are always on like Brittany underscore Broski. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I think that it's, I think honestly, the bigger the person, the harder it is. But I also think that that's why it's always fun to go try on YouTube or like use a different platform, like, you know, show different versions of yourselves on other platforms as well and see what works there and then take it back to TikTok. Um, cause sometimes TikTok yeah. can be a little bit unforgiving if you experiment too much. That's such a good point too. I've, it's kind mm -hmm. of fun too, actually, as a viewer from like a voyeur perspective to see these mm -hmm. personalities kind of pop up in different ways. I think of Chris Olsen specifically because yeah. Chris is like a content tank. Like he yeah. just makes so much content. And although he has a niche, I would say that he, you know, he caters to more of a gay audience, but it's also comedy and he does, he's just so multi-talented. But what's fun about watching Chris is that Chris shows up in a lot of different ways in media. I've noticed like he has a presence on YouTube. He does what he does on TikTok. He has a lot of like cameos he does with celebrities and stuff like that. But you also see him on red carpets. You see him in music videos now with um, Renee. Like yeah. there's lots of, there's lots of different ways to follow him, which I think in turn has helped him avoid getting into the rut of like, it feels like the same content over and over again. That's the challenge of like making yourself a personality. I feel like on TikTok is people want to see you grow, you know, and sometimes you have to like facilitate it yourself. Yeah, I think Chris Olsen to me is really fascinating. And I think part of his um, success is like, I also have a prediction. I think he's going to be on Dancing with the Stars like next season or I could just see you that. So? Him. I mean, Charlie's I paved so. the way at this point. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see it. And um, I think that when he first got viral, it was with his um, boyfriend at the time, Ian, and oh, yeah. his content. And ever since then, even his viral videos where he gives celebrities coffee, like something about him is his content the through line in almost all of his videos is about his relation to someone else. Like it's never fully just about him and it. Oh, that's and so interesting. Yeah. And so as long as there's different people in his life, he's able to show different versions of himself versus being one dimensional because like some of his viral videos are about his best friendship with Megan Trainer. Some of his yeah. videos are about him fangirling with a celebrity like almost every single one of the dine like he brings out these different sides of his personality through his relationship with other people that's such an interesting observation i've never noticed that but you're 100 right it's kind of like it's like everyone every character is like a proxy for him to show a different color of chris and that's what keeps yes. it fresh and exciting to watch because yes. i think i mean even at this point the gag of like the coffee bit is like even broski has like made comments on it like chris it's played out baby kind of thing but it's still fun <laughs> I also think that Chris is an interesting personality because I think he's, I mean, the question of like pushing out as much content as someone like him in terms of like a media landscape or lens is that 
there's always the risk that you could run saturation where people you, people have just seen too much of you. But he's kind of successfully moved past that into a point where we now feel really comfortable watching him a lot of the time. It's like it's almost like when he pops up on your for you page. It's it's like seeing a familiar face, which mm -hmm. makes you want to watch a little bit longer. That's a really hard place to get to for people. It's almost impossible, it I'd say, for a lot of content creators. Yeah. Even even A list celebrities struggle with that overexposure totally. on TikTok. Like, absolutely. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I always say like in media, I think there's this fine line people have to walk where some of the most like successful people, no matter how big they are, they're able to maintain this era, this aura of like being an underdog still. And I think Chris Olson mm -hmm. does that well. Like you, even though he has millions of followers, you think of him as an underdog. And I think part of that is him positioning himself still as a fangirl to big celebrities. Like he has more followers than some of these celebrities, but he's positioning mm -hmm. himself in a way that you're still kind of rooting for him because you feel like he still has more to gain um, versus someone that feels like they've already gained everything. Why do I need to root for them? Like they've already made it to the finish line, but him, totally. it, he always pushes the finish line for himself in a way. Yeah. Do you think that there's, that's just like a, I don't know, societal shift between looking for influencer content that is like aspirational versus something that feels a little more like it's in my bedroom. That's the total, like the, the shift that we've seen. Yeah, um, I actually literally right before we filmed this podcast, I had like an epiphany and I made a video about it because I was thinking about. I love Laguna that. <laughs> I love just yeah, immediate right? ideas to TikTok. That's the way I literally, do it. Yeah, <laughs> um, literally what I ponder in my downtime. But like, <laughs> I think that there's this. I think of it as like this pyramid, and for people that are really successful or break mainstream, and we're seeing it right now with Alex Earl. We've seen it with the Kardashians, but that it's people who are able to manage like they balance being ordinary with also there's a part about them that's like extraordinary and people that never really break past or go into mainstream, which I always say like a lot of people don't need to go mainstream either. Like there's very successful creators who stay in a niche and they have their lane and do it well. But like, mm -hmm. um, so for like the Kardashians, for example, they're the times where they've lost a connection with their audience is when they've gone too much towards like the extraordinary and the, the mm -hmm. pyramid kind of starts to like, um, get off key off kilter and it loses it's, the balance there. It, the yeah. It the loses audience the is severed. Right. The audience no longer feels like they have anything to lose. They've made it. And then the moment that they always bring it back is when they remind the audience of their humanity of things that are happening to them that are out of their controller. And then they go back to that ordinary and, and I think that the people that that stay in their niche, they're either super relatable and super, super ordinary, which is not mm. ordinary in a bad way. They're just like the creators that are like always in their bedroom or always on the toilet talking about whatever. Right, Sorry, right. I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> always but... on the toilet. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and but that's like, the vibe though. That's then... like a perfect contrast to the difference that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the people who, or there's people who are extra ordinary where they're the creators who are like, you know, they're running marathons and breaking records and they're fun to follow but like there's something about them that it seems like they've lost a sense of humanity because you're like they've already made it so i think that the i think that the people that are really successful are the ones that are able to be interesting that the audience can fantasize about their life and they're extraordinary mm -hmm. but then they also have moments of reminding the audience of their humanity and then they pull them back so it's like a balancing act and anytime someone falls off or people lose interest it's because they've gone more towards one of the other
that makes complete sense. You should write a book on that because that's, <laughs> I, I was like, is that solely your theory? That's wild. Yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah. was just, I was literally just closing my eyes thinking about it. And then I just saw like the pyramid in my head and I'm like, it's like, a, it's like a balancing act and you never want it to fall towards one side. No, because you're totally right about that. Specifically with the Kardashians as well. I think they just do it all on a much larger scale because when it comes to like a content creator, we could do something that looks extraordinary. Or let's say like you see someone like, I'm going to go back to Chris Olsen, Walker Red Carpet, mm -hmm. that kind of yeah. pushes. It's exciting to watch as the user, but it pushes the distance a little bit further between your life and theirs. But then there's something that can tether it back very quickly. The Kardashians sort of do that just on such a massive scale. I feel that mm -hmm. when you see you see them on like a private jet, for example, but then one of them might go and do a PR placed podcast, right? Where yeah. they're really bearing their soul. I'm thinking of what Kim did most recently. That's, yeah. I mean, that, that, I feel like that's the way media's worked always as far from like a PR perspective. TikTok is just kind of boiling it down into like everything exists on one profile versus in the media. Yeah. It's kind of mm -hmm. like a small, the way that I've thought of social media from like a bird's eye view for many years, I'm like, it really, this will sound, stay with me on this, but this will sound wild, but I really think social media exists as a small game of capitalism is what it looks like to me. If I'm looking mm -hmm. at it from up above, so imagine that like a creator is a business, let's say a business has to run advertising to make money, except the currency in this standpoint is engagement, right? Engagement or fame, we could say. So when you want to run an ad, you make content and you know, your marketing can perform different ways based on the engagement that it organically gets. But that's sort of how I viewed it is that social media has really just gamified Mm -hmm. capitalism at large that works around us. And now all of these creators exist as small businesses. They're doing co-branded deals when they do brand deals. This sounds like a high thought, but I swear it made sense no, in my I'm, mind. I'm with like, you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the, instead of, it, it, I think of it as like, um, creators were all kind of like billboards and they're mm -hmm. based on like your performance for that month or whatever, like your billboard is like a little lower or a little bit higher. And like, the mm. instead of companies paying for billboards on like La Cienega where maybe 10,000 cars are going to drive by, they know now, like, if I just pay, you know, one tenth of that amount to like a creator, that billboard is going to be seen by way more people. And like, yeah, I always think of it, but yeah. the capitalism is, is a way to, it's literally just like gamifying it, people are now the brands instead of actual just brands existing. And it's like yeah. people that are, um, people that are able to brand themselves seem to do better in this game, but it's ever changing too. Like you never know, like there's never a finish line. Well, you kind of just touched on something too. I wanted to ask you about it's, I do feel that maybe there's like a few years of like a lag here in terms of the weight that creators hold for influence. I know that people like to say, like they talk about influencers and the power that drives. But I think the old school thought of an influencer is aspirational. You know, it's it's what you see of like the girl on the beach kind of thing. That's what comes to our mind. But when I think of an influencer now, I do think of those personalities, like a Drew. I think of like a Dylan. I think of someone who exists as a personality and can actually sway my opinion one way or the other. And if you look at their accounts, I mean, these creators do like millions of, of views per video sometimes. I mean, that's, if we talk about that, like from a media perspective, those numbers are better than television. So oh I'm God. always, I, yeah, I'm always curious. I'm like, that's like primetime television. Cause like you always talk about ratings for like how many viewers this episode on like network television get that night. It got 
1.5 million views. And the ads that run against that would be hundreds of thousands, if yes. not millions. So when we're talking about a single piece of content on someone's profile that does three, four, five million views plus, the disconnect between what how creators are valued, and I don't know if this is like at the fault of the brands, you can let me know what you think about this, mm -hmm. or if this is at the fault of the platform itself, but mm -hmm. I think there is a huge disconnect between how creators are paid for what they create um, versus what people who are in senior leadership think they're worth. Yeah. And also something to like when creators are pricing themselves as well is like one thing they have to think about is how much would it cost them to make a similar ad in a studio with a cameraman, lights, um, you know, snacks, the actors, yeah. like, and then they're filming that in their bedroom and having just as much effect. Like, um, but I, so I think it's, I actually think brands have been quite early adopters to influencers. I think they know how to follow the views and the numbers. I think that where influencers are really undermined has been more so just in like, I don't mean to use fancy words, but just like the cultural zeitgeist and um, mm -hmm. history repeats itself. And I remember in my film history class in college learning that um, like TV killed the radio star, but that there was a time where actors were seen as like the bottom of the barrel of the industry and no one wanted to be an actor. Like, why would you want to be an actor? Like, that's so embarrassing. And um, everyone just really looked down on them. And once like audiences started enjoying TV and movies, the actors ended up becoming really, really popular. And it was the radio personalities who refused to adapt and get on screen and be um, you know, figuring it out with the actors that were left in the dust. Um, and so I think that we're seeing something similar happening here where people don't, people really don't see influencers as like this, um, they don't have the respect that I think is going, I think respect is coming. I think it just takes time, um, mm -hmm. especially Gen Alpha and Gen Z grown up. Yeah. And I think too, um, part of it, like one thing that's always funny to me and maybe I'm just like a champion of influencers, even though I've seen the bad sides, the ugly, but like, I'm still a champion for influencers because the way I look at it is like, there's always this discussion of nepotism as well. And like, I grew up in LA, like I know nepotism is a thing, but like, so people hate someone because of nepotism, because you know, their aunt was a movie star and I get that. And they got an opportunity because of that. But then they also equally hate someone who was in their bedroom in the middle of nowhere. Maybe they didn't have access to a college education. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have a job that they hate. Um, and they saw filming videos on their phone as the only potential way to like make something of their life. They're like, me, this is the only out that I have. I don't have an education. I don't have a job I like, but then they're villainized because now they have the title of influencer. So mm -hmm. I think it's like, I just think it's interesting that people really, really don't like the title influencer, but it's like, that's really the only way that people can compete now. Now that we know how much nepotism is a thing, it feels like influencers are really the only people that are holding their weight against people that already had ties in, in, in the industry. Totally. I have so many questions I want to ask you just about that sentiment in and of itself, <laughs> but you're, you're dead on. I, I do feel like there's like a bit of a lag in Hollywood because I talked to um so transparently, like early on, like when TikTok started taking off for me, I got into some big conversations with very big agencies in mm -hmm. Los Angeles because I was always thinking, you know, how do I spin this into a diff another version of the career? Like, how do I get into hosting? How do I get into interviewing? How do I get into acting? 
And the thing that I learned, and you know, I would never name names, but I do have some friends who work in agencies, <laughs> never cut me a break before I had numbers. But yeah. the thing is that a lot of the big agencies, they recognize the momentum that influencers mm -hmm. and creators have now. They're like, we see mm -hmm. these numbers, we, we see the engagement, we can't really pretend it's not real. So what they're doing is they just get like one of their junior agents or something to like sign a bunch of creators onto the roster, but they don't really know what to do with them. They don't know how to translate that into a career, which is shocking because when you look at this, these creators, not only do they have more, you know, higher numbers than most celebrities, like you were saying, they have more influence and possibly more name recognition, depending upon the generations that you interview. And it's shocking to me that like, you know, Gen Xers or, you know, even boomers who are working not to like go into a, a whole conversation about like different generations. But I work with so many, you know, high level people, specifically in media who like still think of TikTok. They're like, it's a dancing app, right? And I'm like, babe, no, I'm like, you don't understand. These kids can sell products. Like they can, they're full fledged, full package personalities. They can be like TV and movie stars. Like mm -hmm. this is where you need to be looking for like the next generation of talent. And it's really hard to convey that I feel to even the titans of Hollywood at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think it's interesting too. like one thing that I, I do think that out of all of the platforms, TikTok was the first one to really break into that kind of like mainstream. I know you had like the choice of ons and the Conan Grays who in the Sean Mendes's who were like on Vine singing. But I think that, um, I forgot about that for a second. Oh my, you're right. Right. Wow. <laughs> I a forgot about the Vine, the Vine push. Yes. I feel like they, like it is smart in some ways, but I think some of them like distance themselves once they make it to a certain point to not just be a social media star. But, um, yeah, I think that, TikTok has been the first platform, like I always say YouTubers really built the foundation for the house that now TikTokers live in. And mm, um, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, like they built the blueprint, they had to get messy. And then I feel like TikTokers have really been able to like um, profit from it. But I do think that people still obviously doubt TikTok, but I think it's changing. I think they see like, the Addison Rays of the world. But then again, I kind of know I'm talking to someone who's not that well versed in social media. If they only reference like Addison Ray as someone who's like big or the D'Amelio's, I'm like, there's so many big people. Like, um, but yeah, I, I think that times are changing. And I think that TikTok, because of the discoverability, like even people who are closed off from influencers in the industry, if they're even on TikTok for five minutes, they're going to discover new people that they didn't even know to look for um, yeah, they're gonna latch on they're gonna find like it tiktok is yeah. i will give it to tiktok i mean just from an advertising and like algorithmic standpoint yeah. i i think the algorithm actually used to be even more like invasive i'm one of those weird people who work in marketing and i'm mm -hmm. like i love when my ads are served to me on a platter oh me too <laughs> when it's like, like super yes, like specific mm, yeah, I, I mean it. tiktok I was like telling me things before i even thought of them and i'm like yeah. now we're getting like really deep but yeah yes. but people that it would serve me i was like it's, this is a perfect funnel into a community of people that I never knew existed. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it, the discoverability, I'm always saying like if other, cause I actually think that there's going to be now a short form fatigue where people don't want to watch super short videos anymore. I think that people mm. are realizing it takes more attention span to scroll every 10 seconds on your phone versus putting on like an hour long podcast while you vacuum or something. Um, so I always say I'm like, if a platform like YouTube with long videos 
could figure out the discoverability of TikTok and not just shorts, but like if they had like a for you page on YouTube, but for like podcasts, I would never ever have to like search for anything ever again. Like I would be set. That's all I would watch. So yeah, yeah I kind of have to answer to that now. I mean, because TikTok has really flipped the whole industry on its ass. Like they kind of have to change their, their platforms. Yeah. Well, and what I hated about a lot of the platforms is that they tried to become TikTok 2.0, but I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you guys have really good things going for you. Like just, just, if you can just take the discoverability AI part of TikTok and put it on your platform, like I always say, like people aren't going to follow, you know, if you want to be a pop singer and you just make music like Olivia Rodrigo, like no one's going to follow you because they already follow Olivia Rodrigo. Like you have to do something that's so unique. They can't find it anywhere else. So they're going to follow you for it. And I, I hate when platforms like they had something great going for them and they just tried to create TikTok 2.0. But I'm like, yeah, do you just with the discovery. So, yeah. Instead of like doubling down on like your, your core value proposition, like YouTube's whole yeah. thing was driving the same kind of like personality discoverability, but with long form content. But mm -hmm. it's funny now, I mean, transparently, I guess we'll say this on air, but I, I do know someone who I, I won't name through YouTube shorts and the big incentive now, and I'm sure meta is probably going to try to do this too, because they're pushing reels. Mm -hmm. They're basically going to try to pull the audiences, meaning pulling the creators from TikTok. Yeah by really incentivizing the pay on shorts mm -hmm. and reels and that pay is probably going to be probably going to be a huge huge steep like incline because comparatively to tiktok tiktok just does not pay for the amount pay. of like yeah, i mean for the don't. numbers that like we drive like mm -hmm. i could sit there and like i could do five videos back to back that will do a million plus per video mm -hmm. and feel fantastic about myself and people will message me and be like are you getting a mortgage? Like, are you, are you like yeah. getting a house? And I'm Maybe. like, girl, girl, no, I am not. <laughs> exactly. It, yeah. The pay is so, but again, it makes sense because like TikTok can't monetize, like they have no ads. That's why I'm always like TikTok, like you guys need to go long form because like, if you start pushing out more long form videos, then you can put mid roll ads. But like, no, like they just have, like, no one's going to watch a 30 second ad for a 10 second video. And like, I get that. Yeah. And I also think like, I know a lot of them, I know Snapchat even tried to monetize a few years ago with Snapchat spotlight. And mm -hmm. I mean, they were paying big, like huge numbers, but it really didn't convert anyone because like you, like you can't put a price tag on attention. Like you cannot name a price that is more valuable than like continued attention. And that's mm -hmm. the only thing you can find on TikTok right now. I wanted to ask you about that specifically. I mean, I guess we can relate it back to like short form content and like running mm -hmm. ads through TikTok when brands do that, yeah. whether it's, I mean, I'm just thinking of like a straight, like creator sponsored ad, let's say. I often see a lot of brands that will come to me specifically, but also creators I know, and they'll say like, we're really looking for this to like convert super down funnel. We want it to like convert to clicks and traffic to the site, mm -hmm. but that's a very, I mean, the user journey is not usually like that. I often think of TikTok and platforms like social media as brand marketing. It's just about awareness, mm -hmm. which can yeah. start people on the funnel. But like maybe after I see that ad two days from now, I might Google, you know, Toyota or whatever the, the ad is for. But yeah. I'm very rarely about to like go through all of the process, disrupt my like chill out yeah. time on my phone and click someone's link in their bio, no matter how famous they are. Like, like have to get up and grab my wallet out of like the purse that I'm not even sure which one it's in. Maybe it's in my car. Like I don't. It would take a lot to incentivize that. Yeah. yeah. It did happen yeah. once. It happened once for me, and I, I like actually stepped back and made note of it. I was like, 
what just compelled me to do this? And I'll tell you exactly what it was. You might have even seen the ad. Well, maybe not. Maybe it was targeted towards like men only, <laughs> gay men only. But it was an ad for oil perfumery. And it was like a user-generated ad. It was like some, it was some girl, a creator. She had like green screen. Looked like a TikTok, right? Even though I knew it was like a sponsored ad, it just came up on my FYP. And she was like, so everybody is saying that Harry Styles wears a specific type of cologne this cologne immediately it like informed me with several different things it got me quite i was intrigued because it had the celebrity factor without having celebrity talent yeah there was an element of mystery which i wanted to uncover i'm like what is it i need to know and also it had the direct like click it gave me a pathway to click out and it all i think it also was transparent about price that's all three mm -hmm. factors immediately compelled me to click onto that and buy that instantaneously and I had never done that in my life I never buy stuff off of ads like that yes but it was compelling compelling yeah I think there's like two things that happen one I think that audiences are smart now and they can tell when something's an ad but even worse oh, yeah. than that they can tell when you're trying to not make it an ad and they hate that even more than if you're like look this is the price point this is what i'm talking about they hate it even more if you are trying to disguise it and like being up front that's why the ones that i more so like not i mean i clicked on an ad once and it was like oh get like a bracelet and then anytime you touch it like your partner knows that like you're thinking of them and i was like oh my gosh mm -hmm. um i don't think i ended up buying it that's but cute. i thought that was <laughs> yeah um that was like the only time i ever clicked on one but um i think that like the organic ones though that i've gone to get it's always like um they're telling like they're just showing me either how to use it or like the price point like i we learned at buzzfeed that transparency is huge yeah yeah it's like if you're gonna do an ad own it like own it they they don't want to feel like you're being weird about it like if you are owning it and make it a point to be like, like, for example, this is what, what Harry Styles wears, like describe, like explain why this is so important that you had to make it an ad. Like why, why should the person care that you were willing to like sell yourself out to like make it an ad? And that I think is what's compelling to people. And we've also learned at Buzzfeed that just like having numbers and titles, um, gets a higher click through for some reason. Like instead of being like, I tried like this like secret deodorant it's like i tried the one dollar secret deodorant to see if it worked like mm -hmm. people just love numbers so i think it pushes too. people further down the funnel like towards intent because you have to consider mm -hmm. a lot of things when you're going to buy something there's a lot of questions you ask yourself do i need it how necessary is it will it work what's the cost of it like all of those questions so it just checks off one box immediately so they're yeah. already inadvertently further down the funnel like the marketing funnel mm -hmm. so i know i'm like realizing now i'm like we're just throwing out so much marketing lingo i know like, like I sorry like, literally no. we're like i love it right no I, I i'm a media nerd for this stuff but i was just realizing i was like i hope anyone who's listening i hope they have like at least a, a baseline know, right? of like marketing knowledge but yes. i yeah. Transparency is huge. I also love when things are completely non-conventional. So like, I don't think they'd mind me saying this, but I did a very big deal with um, Spotify a few months ago mm -hmm. to promote uh, Podcast 63, which you should mm -hmm. listen to. It's great with Julianne Moore. But yeah. um, they really approached it kind like trying to lean into what I do, which is tell scary stories. And they came up with this concept and they were like, we would love you to deceive the audience. And I was like, what do you mean? They were like, tell the story of podcast 63 like the net because it's a narrative driven podcast they're like tell it as if it's true 
like you're reporting on an actual true crime case and at the end button it up revealing that it's a podcast and i was like that's pretty non-conventional because like, usually ads are very like pc they're like we don't want to yeah. hurt anybody's feelings or yeah. we don't want to you know they're like we don't want to like disrupt make any waves and i was like are you sure you yeah. want to do this and they were like yeah they were like that's what you do so I was like, if you want me to sell it, I could sell that as true. Like mm -hmm. I tell scary stories and we yeah. did it. And that did so, I must've done like 8 million views organically. And it was a paid, it had the paid ad underneath it. And I was like, this is actually unheard of. I think for an organic ad, that's wild. That is like a case study in itself. That is so fascinating. I, and... It was their idea too. I can't take credit for it. I mean, I wrote. I wrote the treatment, like the script for it, but like they came up with that. They're like, let's like pull one over on the audience and have fun. You know? Yeah. And you know, what's so funny. I, I had a similar experience with, this is when I was way smaller doing tarot, but Spotify came to me and was like, Hey, we're going to VidCon. And like, like, can you do a tarot reading on our like live stream? Oh, fun. And like, based on like the card that you pull, like those people were like the yellow playlist. And I was like, spot like Spotify, like you, your guys' stakeholders like aren't gonna be like, why are they doing tarot? Like, pull out, and they were just like, let's have fun with it, like whatever you want to do, like do it, like we trust you, and it was one of the most fun ads I'd ever done, um, yeah. and it was alive, so like it wasn't like a video necessarily, but it mm -hmm. was still like really it's, fun. Yeah, it was still like a sponsored experience. Yeah, but your story is like fascinating. That is so, that's so cool. I had when, no when anticipation of that. Cause branded, I mean, like to be real, like yeah. I've done, I've done a good number of brand deals and like, it's very rare that they do very well. Some of them mm -hmm. do like pretty well numbers wise, but I'm always kind of doing it. I'm like, this is going to take a hit yeah. on my account. Like if you're looking at my videos, like this one will definitely stick out like a sore thumb. But sometimes yeah. when you really go organic like that and you just play into what you, what works well for you. But mm -hmm. like you're saying, they also don't, don't like being sold to. Like I try to caution some brands. I'm like, I wouldn't necessarily recommend like a full 60 second custom. I'm like, I would probably do like a 10 second shout out within a piece of regular content because yes. it's much easier for them to like sit through that for five or 10 seconds mm -hmm. as opposed to like ingest a full piece of content, unless it's super endemic to my, my niche and like what sure. I talk about, you know? That is actually so fascinating you say that. Like, also, you're just so smart with this kind of stuff. I'm like, I went into this podcast blind. Like, I knew about your creepy stuff. I'm like, wow, this is so fascinating what you Media background, about. media girlies. Yeah. <laughs> media girlies, um, the MySpace to media pipeline. But um, I, I um, think what you just said is so fascinating, which is like, I'm always literally just yelling on a megaphone, like, TikTok, please give us mid-roll ads. But like, if you just do a mid-roll ad yourself, like, hi, I'm Kokomoko, like, this is the trend. Like, by the way, like Kellogg cereal, like they're like, this is the yeah. new cereal, it's cool. Anyways, here's like the Tumblr thing. Like that is fascinating just as the creator making mid-roll ads in the video itself that are like 10 seconds. And the audience, like they're getting a three minute video. So like that 10 seconds or whatever is like worth it to them. Absolutely. Yeah, they're totally willing to bypass it as long as you set them up with like the expectation of like, this, this is video is going to be good. So like, I'll give them a teaser, yes. basically, a little preview yeah. in the beginning. I'll insert, I, I like sell it as like, um, or like my management sells it as like bacons because basically you can't take it out of the video. It's permanently uh, baked into the content. So I that content, that. it's not going to go away because it's a piece of content of mine. So like imagine it as like a baked in ad indefinitely. And they love that. Um, 
they that love is that. like the future <laughs> yes that is the future oh my gosh is like the not just having paid ads in between videos but like just the creators like monetizing themselves in 10 seconds of their video that is so interesting well it's much um, more effective because you get the meat of the ad to them you know mm -hmm, you need the yeah. name and like what it does and maybe a quick call to action and then you're done mm-hmm mm -hmm. Yeah, which it makes sense because that's what everyone else does, like on YouTube and in podcasts. Like they're just like, here's like the the video. Yeah, here's the yeah, reason yeah. you clicked in, and like by the way, like here's HelloFresh. Anyways, back to the video. So yeah, like a quick host read. That's what just what it feels like a host read. Actually, I'm, yeah. I'm over here. I'm like I'm reinventing the wheel. I'm like wait, no, it's a host read. I, right? <laughs> yes. I'm like oh my gosh. <laughs> to me, you just invented the wheel. I'd never heard of that. So I'm like wow, that is like really fascinating. Well, on the topic of ads, I wanted to ask you just about like your your stance on brand safety because we know TikTok is a I would consider TikTok to be the most brand sensitive platform that I have ever worked on as far as a content creator. I mean, it is stricter than television. I can't say mm -hmm. anything on there. Anything. Yeah. Have you experienced that with what you talk about or have you never run into that problem in your niche? No, it's it not necessarily for me because like I think my background made me super kosher because like when I've overseen corporate accounts, um, they are so sensitive to mm -hmm. any sort of thing. Like at BuzzFeed, they have like um, celebrities read thirst tweets and like we can't use most of them and we always say like we call it being on timeout like if we get dinged for one of those videos and like they mute the audio or whatever happens we always notice the views are hurting a little bit for like a week after and we say like like mm -hmm. tiktok put our account on timeout um for like breaking. so you think that's real as far as like shadow banning do you think that's because i've never been clear as to whether or not that's legitimate so yeah i think shadow banning is tricky i don't think it's like i don't think that unless TikTok like literally just bans you, like I personally don't feel like TikTok says, oh, we hate this person. We're going to stop giving them views. I do think the algorithm is sometimes like, oh, they had an inappropriate word in a video. Like we're going to kind of like, like only push them out to their most loyal followers for a week to like make sure that they're back in line. Mm. Um, or I think it happens. I personally think that a lot of shadow bans happen with certain topics or hashtags. And so what we've seen in some videos or what I've seen is like, if someone's talking about a controversial topic, mm -hmm. um, if they hashtag that like in the video, in the caption, the video will get like 12 views, but if they private and then repost the video with like a very minimal caption and like no hashtags, it will like, it's gotten 2 million views before. So I think that TikTok shadow bans certain hashtags and i think it happens especially after major events like after astroworld for example like that mm -hmm. was all my for you page was for like two weeks and then it just went radio silent and any creator who made a video about oh, astroworld I think was banned for, yeah i think that it gets like out of control and like it becomes like a fixation and then TikTok tries to reel it in by like going on the opposite end and they completely like block and this is just all alleged i have no idea i could be like tim right. hat conspiracy but i think that certain topics get banned if they're too sensitive or if there's videos that were like too gory that like kept slipping through the cracks they just mm -hmm. completely shut down anything under that topic 
and then anyone who's only talking about that gets right. shut down for a bit. Mm-hmm. I have a like a personal you case study, so I'm not. Well, I mean, oh my god, I anything you can imagine that you could go through on TikTok, I have been yeah. through it. Yeah, I ha- I lost access to my account like. Oh God, that was so devastating. Like six months ago, I want to say for like two mm-hmm. weeks. And I was like, this Wait, two cannot... weeks you were out, like permanently two... banned? Yeah, I was like this. And I turned over every stone you could. I was like reaching out to TikTok legal. I, I tried to tap like people on the inside. I'm like, guys, we don't understand. Please. Like, I'm like, please. I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't even know what I did. What did I get banned for? Because, like, I never do anything bad in my video. I never, like, swear or anything yeah. like that. But, like, this is why I took a new stance, actually. And it re- after I regained access to my account, I completely reformulated how I put out content. I no longer cover content that talks anything about minors. I don't cover cases with minors. Oh, I smart. never talk about drugs or alcohol. I don't even say mm-hmm. the word sex on TikTok. Like, mm-hmm. the shit I went through to try to, like, clean up my act on TikTok. <laughs> like, <laughs> The words that I had, like the the synonyms I had yep. to use, but it's interesting that you bring this up, the idea of TikTok like revoking popularity around certain topics, because yep. I don't know if you follow the Idaho um, massacre, yep. the Idaho murders mm-hmm. that have happened. So mm-hmm. I did a video on that truly like two weeks ago, and mm-hmm. I was just covering the top line of the case. Um, video yep. did really well. I don't usually cover cases that are happening live because there are details that get missed, but it was you a big request. Know, yeah. The, case, the video did like 10 million views. It was very successful. Like and then I followed it up with um, another video like two weeks later because they caught their suspect. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that video did poorly, but it certainly is not seeing the same kind of virality as the previous video. So it's maybe at like 150 to like, it's probably going to be like, I categorize my videos by like quarter of a mil is like yeah. my, my low benchmark now, which is insane. Like, I, I know, I'm like, oh, that's like my, like, woot, woot, we're celebrating now. Well, because <laughs> you moved the benchmark for yourself. Because, like, when I first Never got know, my, yeah. my, my very first video did 10,000 views, I was like, it's over. You made it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was like, take my number Literally. out of your fucking phones. I'm like, it's yes. over. <laughs> like, <laughs> Where's my star on the walk of fame? Like, I'm ready. But you uh, move the yeah. goalpost constantly. That's the problem. Oh, it's yeah. like, there's no end in sight. And I actually think that, like, you haven't truly made it on TikTok if you haven't been banned. Like, every single big like, tweeter <laughs> that I true. look up to has been banned at some point. Like, I, I don't know what it is. I think also, like, because I, I was permanently banned once for, like, 10 minutes. And for it was... What, what could you have done? What did you do? I, I literally don't know. I was just minding my business. And I went to, like, log into my account. Like, I... I, so I have like multiple accounts on my thing that I have to run for work. So I went to like tap on my account to like switch back Mm -hmm. and it like opened and then it just went like blank and it was like user has been permanently deleted or something. And I was like, I'm getting flashbacks sick to my stomach. I was, and there was nothing (laughs) I could do. Like there was no, you couldn't press any button to be like email, like what? So I texted my manager, like my talent manager. And I was like, Hey, like, like FYI, like I'm, I'm banned, like Instagram it is. And he's like, what? I'm like, I know. And then he reached out to someone, but before he even heard back from his contact, my account was back up. So I don't know if there's like a human that has to like, look at these things. And then like, like, I don't know what it was. I think that it's just like an algorithm glitch. And I yeah. think that sometimes what happens is if you have a viral video that has 
not necessarily anything you said in the content was bad, but I think that if the comments are arguing with each other or like if the comments oh, are bringing maybe, yeah. up something that might be sensitive, then it gets, it flags your account. Like if there's mm. some sort of discourse in your comments. So sometimes I'll just be like, okay guys, like be nice in the comments or like, I'll have to just preface like no one like, you know, hound on like i talk a lot about influencers or celebrities and they'll be like i hate this person like they're awful and like the person could be the most chill celebrity ever and the, some comments will find a reason to hate them and i think sometimes discourse like that could get you banned if there's a lot of like bullying or harassment happening in comments i don't that's so just nothing that even has to do with you they just assume that you because your video is the one that prompted it they think you incited a hot topic. it in some way yeah mm -hmm. that makes that's sense. what i think yeah. I should ask so, you about that. Like, how have you been on the receiving end of anything? Like, I mean, I'm sure, like, as creators get bigger, and I've experienced this myself, like, there is a lot of shit you go through on TikTok. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of people who make videos about you. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced that? And how have you responded to it in the past? Or do you not respond to it? Yeah, so I try not to pay attention to it. I just, like, don't search my name. I tell... Like my family member, like my little sister, she's like a Gen Z high schooler. She always searches me on Twitter and I'm like, why would you do that? Like, why? Like, I don't want to oh, know. Like, yeah. she's like, it's positive. I'm like, I don't care. Like, I literally do not want to know anything. Like, I just don't pay attention. Um, but I have like, sometimes I, I like to, whenever I'm featured in like a news article or like a podcast like this, I like to highlight it on my Instagram stories so my fans can, or followers can find it. And one time I like searched my name and a Reddit thread came up, big mistake to touch that one. And it was just like, <laughs> who's this Pokemoku girl? Like, I don't think she actually works in media, but I keep my actual name off the internet. Like in case I ever want to just never be an influencer again and like get a job, like as a chiropractor, I don't know. Like, I just don't want people to be able to search my actual name. I would and... die if I walked into my chiropractor and you were oh about goodness, to work on me. <laughs> it's Coco Mocha. Literally, <laughs> you ASMR do have an ASMR chiropractor. quality. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know why, because like in person, I'm very hyper, but um, people always say that. But I like the Reddit thread was like, I looked up Coco Moco on LinkedIn and like, she's not an actual person. Like she doesn't like, there's no one. I'm like, obviously that's not my name. Like my name is not Coco. Like, that's not like my actual name. It's based off of a nickname that my college friends gave me. And they were mm -hmm. like, someone in the thread was like, I think she works at Buzzfeed. And someone's like, false. I looked up the Buzzfeed employees, like no one there is named Coco Moco. And I'm like, mm -hmm. obviously that's not me. So sometimes like I get the biggest, the biggest thing that I get is people being like, like there's no paper trail, but I'm like, I don't owe anyone like my privacy, like I'm going to guard that. And my advice speaks for itself. If you like my advice, awesome. If you think I'm the worst marketer ever, that's okay too. You don't have to watch my videos, but like, I don't owe anyone like my name, my social security number, like my address. Like, yeah. I'm just going to be very like, I just like to let my advice speak for itself. But that's the biggest thing that I see is just someone being like, who is she? Like, I've seen TikTok videos where they're just like, who is she? Like, is she real? Like, I think she's not actually like working, like she doesn't actually have a job. So that's the biggest thing, but I don't really I, pay attention to it. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, they will come for anything. Like I've been put through the ringer on TikTok and like al almost all of it, I think I expected because if you're mm -hmm. a face on social media, if you're a literal face on social media, they will just say anything about you. They'll hate your voice. They'll hate the way you look, the, the way you speak. Like, all yeah. of those things end up being superficial. And truthfully, from taking a step back and observing, I've learned watching other creators like 
like feel through the forest of like hatred online the best yeah. way to go to go forward with it is truly to ignore it and just keep making mm-hmm. content because yeah. it's a one-sided conversation in, in that yeah. way and if you keep making content it's just old news i mean even like honestly everything mm-hmm. that went down with um i think it's very rare and you can tell me what you think about this i think it's rare on tiktok when tiktok drama kind of germinates outside of tiktok and becomes yeah. a story on Instagram mm-hmm. or even in the media, God forbid. But I think yeah. most recently about what happened with Michaela, and I, I think, say, yeah. yeah, and I think a lot about like everybody was waiting on bated breath. They were like, "What's going to be her response? Is it going to be an apology video? Is she going to come back with anger?" And truthfully, she came back. She did make a video, but what I loved about it was that she just plowed through. She was like, mm-hmm. "Taken out of context. I love what I do. Here's five yeah. new videos. Kept making content, yeah. and it becomes an old story." <laughs> Yes. Everyone is so forgiving and forgetful. It's incredible. Yes. I sometimes I think like sometimes the comments I'm like, okay, valid. Like if someone's like, oh, I actually think like this analysis is why this person's big. Um, Or like one common thing that I'll get, which I try to make, like I try to have diverse representation in my videos, but sometimes people are like, oh, like this person has white privilege. And I'm like, I recognize that. Like that is totally accurate as well like so there's some things like that where i'm like those comments i'm like yes like that is a fair comment like i'm happy you left that like i'm happy you feel like my place is a safe place to leave that and then there's the comments that are just like this girl is like the ugliest person i've ever seen Mm -hmm. and those ones yeah like i i don't pay attention to and and like the michaela one was like totally on another scale it was so bizarre the way people kind of like fixated um, I think that for really because big it's a people, movie, they just they want to see the arc of like someone to be yeah. that successful and then just rip them down because just, it's it's fun, yeah. it's fun, it's narrative. Yes, and I think people that really fixate on those things in a negative way, it's like they, I always say like they don't feel seen and heard in their normal life, whether that's like they have a mm. bad manager at work or like their partner isn't like messaging them back or whatever it is. There's something there that they don't feel seen and heard. And they notice that here's a video, this person's getting millions of views. If I say something outrageous, that's the only time, maybe this entire month, that I'll finally be seen and heard. And Mm -hmm. like, usually too, like the few times I'll respond, like in the beginning, people would always be like, oh, I hate her voice. And I'm like, I'm sorry, like, I wish I could change it, but I can't. Those comments were always the ones that would reply and be like, oh my God, no, I'm so sorry. Like, I actually love you. Like, I'm your number one fan. And I'm like, okay, so it's not really coming from a place of critique. That's so accurate. It's insane. Yes. It really is just coming from a place of like, for some reason, I'm not getting a a need met. And the only way I can get it met is through this comment. And like, I also think of the analogy of like, it's like your TikTok. There's a lot of people that are on the TikTok that are enjoying your content. And they're almost looking at you as like a professor in a class. And if someone Mm. comes in the class and is always disruptive and you keep giving that person attention and like letting them hijack the class, your audience is going to get frustrated as well. But if you just like your audience sometimes looks to you to see how you respond. And if you just continue as if that's not happening, then they feel safe as well in your area that you're not letting this disruptive thing take away. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of just what like, gives it power mainstream... when you start responding to it as well. Yeah. 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 It's just giving it and too much of... attention too much attention and then people know now like people that have wanted that attention are now like okay this is a creator that i can get it from like this is someone that i can like pester to get that attention Mm -hmm. and um so yeah i just ignore i honestly just don't look into it that much i honestly don't read my comments after like a couple hours i don't like if i can tell it's on the (laughs) page i don't 
I don't read them as much. And um, in terms of like the mainstream media zeitgeist, yeah, it's it's interesting. Michaela's reached that level, um, mm. but. I always say, even just on the TikTok zeitgeist, like a lot of drama happens in what I call a snow globe. Like mm. really only the people yeah. in that, like back to like a candle creator. If there's candle creator drama, like 99% of people on TikTok that day had no idea it happened. It really existed in a snow globe and it didn't make it outside of that snow globe. But it's funny because sometimes I always, I talk about this and it's a very unpopular conversation point, but from a, a marketing mm -hmm. standpoint, I always talk about the power of hatred online and monetizing mm -hmm. hate in some ways. So mm -hmm. I learned this pretty early on that no engagement was bad engagement for me. So mm -hmm. there were people that wanted to hate me. There were people that loved my content. I was completely ambivalent to all of it. I was, I, I had no stake in any of it because I was just making the content. Yeah. But what I learned really quickly was that for the things, the superficial things that people could hate me for, it only helped me. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I would wear nail polish in videos. People would hate that, or I would have a septum piercing and, oh my God, they would take me down for it. Or they hated my voice, the way I would whisper, or they hated, I mean, just Amen. anything, anything they could pick apart, but I would mm -hmm. never ever correct it or go after it. Not only because mm -hmm. I'm trying to stay out of the drama, but also I realized that that engagement translates to something in the bigger picture. And this happens yeah. a ton on Facebook now that my content is monetized on Facebook. The boomers love to hate me. <laughs> oh my god! If I, I wear a septum, it's oh over my for my shit. Nail I'm polish. done. No, oh nail polish. Oh my god, yeah. nail polish on t on Facebook. I'm dragged through the mud. I should yeah. be crucified. But like, that's the power that hatred can have. And what I what I meant yeah. by that to tie it back into Michaela's drama or any TikTok drama, really. Mm -hmm. There are some creators that I they're never in my purview until a piece of their drama or a story yeah. of their drama enters into my feed because everybody yeah. likes to look at it. It's like the car accident effect. You like mm -hmm. to watch something bad going down, but that has introduced me inadvertently to a lot of people that I never would have, that their niche yep. never would have crossed my path, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, it reminds me of like, I don't know if you remember, there's this thing called like Wombland, where Land. there was the, were you, maybe not, it was like, uh, these creators and they were going at it and they had dated, I don't, it was this huge thing that like, I had never seen them before in my life, but I knew everything about them mm -hmm. like within a week, but then you just forget and then they move on. And I feel like the creators that kind of just move on and like audiences look to you to see how you handle it. And if you move on, your audience moves on as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but like what you were saying with the mean comments, like there's this term in marketing called controlled controversy. And I think mm -hmm. the Kardashians do it really well. And it's where like, you don't want someone to hate you because you've like done something awful. Like you've, you know, right. There's a fine a, line. There's a balance there. Yeah. But like, if they can be mad at you because they don't like the way you did your eyeliner, then they'll be talking about your eyeliner and that's okay. Like, like that's yeah. okay. Let them have that. Let them chew on that. Like that's what they can be mad at. Um, and like, it's going to happen, but it's better that they be mad at your eyeliner than like you've done an awful thing. And they of like, course, yeah. obviously like you just don't want to do awful things, but like if you make a mistake, it's better if someone is mad at like the way that you did your lipstick versus like some awful thing. Um, and so being okay with that and giving room for that, like controlled controversy gives people to chew on. So they aren't quick to jump on something else. Absolutely. And I think it's, I mean, we've seen that done before with, you know, fabricated relationships in the media and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's really just feeding in 
tidbits to the movie, the greater movie that is yeah. your persona in the media to kind of build out conversations for people to have. And I think if I reference back prior to like the re- like the real boom of social media, I think a lot about the rise of Gaga, honestly, and so much mm-hmm. of what she would wear was the, the talking meat, point, right? whether or not you loved it or you wanted to hate her because of it. It was mm-hmm. just a talking point for half of it. And I really do think that there, you know, there's more to it, of course. It's not to cheapen like her decisions and what she was wearing yeah. in fashion. I'm a, I'm a huge Gaga fan. I grew up yes. on Gaga. But I was definitely very aware of that later in my life, that so much of the marketing science behind that is really to incite conversation, whether good or bad, it does not matter. Mm-hmm. It just elevates the celebrity of the person. Yeah. Right. Because so yeah. powerful to harness that and not be afraid of it, honestly. Yeah. And now that she's like a household name, she doesn't have to rely on like the gimmicks, like meat dress, because now it's like people know who she is. And, um, and I think she's one of those people too, where it's like, she knew that she was a good artist. Like she made good music. If you listen to her music, you were going to find something you liked. So she knew like, if she wore something weird, like she wasn't, and, and she's hosted the Met Gala, but like, she wasn't necessarily trying to be like, you know, the next, um, Coco Chanel, like she was just trying to be a musician and whether you hated her dress or not at the VMA awards, you liked her music. And that's what mm-hmm. she knew she was good at. Like you will like my music no matter oh, yeah. what else happens. And her like, power was in the, the conversation starter. That was the power of Gaga, yeah. you know, to be yeah. the, the first name that you're going to talk about in the morning after that performance or after that red carpet kind of thing. I remember, mm-hmm. I remember watching live the 2009 VMA performance where with the bleeding dress. Yes. And that was, oh, that was such a bit, I mean, nobody would talk about any other performance that night. I remember people posting about it on Facebook statuses, which is nuts, but I remember that so vividly. And that was the most important thing. It wasn't necessarily about what she wore, even how she looked necessarily, whether or not people thought she was pretty or they Mm -hmm. didn't. It was just about the conversation and your personal thoughts on a big moment. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the yeah, and I think she like showed up in an egg. Maybe it was that year, or the year yeah. before. But like, I think that I was a couple of years up. after. That was the Grammys. Oh my this god! Is, and this has been like the fandoms really coming out. <laughs> the, yes, but the 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 performance you're talking about with the the fake blood, I've mm-hmm. literally made my Gen Z sister like sit on the bed with me, and like I had my phone, and she's like shoving it in her face, and like you have to watch this YouTube video, and I'm like, okay, That's look right. at this here, and she, like uninterested, but I'm like, no, you have to understand like what this moment meant. <laughs> No, that was that was historic for the VMAs. I mm-hmm. we have talked about so much about TikTok. I I have to ask you just about like I wrote a whole list of questions because I didn't want to forget anything. Um was there is there anything that you have as far as like plans for like after TikTok? Do you see this going in a different direction because so much of what you do I think is informative, but I think it's also really helpful for a lot of people to understand what it is they're consuming in terms of media. Mm-hmm. Would you ever like want to go into a book or long form content or even have like a show? Yeah, no, I love that question. I actually, when I signed with my talent agency and I was kind of doing meetings and stuff, the number one thing I said is I was like, I want to have a book one day. Like I know that this attention and fame is fleeting. Like I can have it for three months. I can have it for three years. I don't know. And I don't know that I want it that long, but like, I feel like my TikTok, I'm just using it as like a really long preview to eventually one day have people buy a book from me. And then mm-hmm. I can just like fall off the face of earth and retire. So 
I would love to have a book. Like that's my number one goal. I know that like the book industry is really hard right now. Like like I go to I love Barnes and Nobles. It's one of my favorite things is going to Barnes and Nobles. Like not Same. a lot of people right? It's just something so fun about it's a it. Peaceful like I know passion. Yeah. So I'm like, if I could have like if it that's like my main goal is just to sell a book and then be able to like retire for the rest of my life. Um, I would love though to have like a podcast where, cause like three, you can only say so much in three minutes. And I started like my YouTube channel, but like, that's a, another skill. Like I respect so much, like things like what you're doing, like a podcast, it's a certain muscle. So I would love to have like a show where I could, I would love to talk to like influencers or celebrities and, and figure out like, what are they watching oh, yeah. or like, what do they do? But I, but I would only want to do a show if I found something that like made me unique enough that it stood out because like the, that's a dime a dozen. So I would just need to figure out something that made me unique. Um, and I think that will come with time, but I, yeah, I would love to, I've always just kind of seen TikTok. Like I love it, but I've always seen it as sort of this, like, um, this preview to what I really wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, I think you do have a very unique value proposition because there are a lot of pop cultural commentators, but I think that mm -hmm. you're very unique. And I've always thought this about you because you kind of walk the walk in that you have the media knowledge and the marketing knowledge to, to, mm -hmm. to sort of frame the lens of how we see all of this and what it all means and what it could mean tomorrow or the next week, the next year. So mm -hmm. I think that that holds a lot of, I think that holds a lot of weight for people um, just in like your sense of authority on the app because you, yeah. you, I do turn to you because I do think that you accurately predict trends. I think that you mm -hmm. accurately see things from a larger lens as opposed to, you know, pop cultural commentators who kind of just reiterate headlines they see on like people.com. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I always say, I'm like, if I like, I'm always saying I could do, you know, like low hanging fruit, like breaking news. Like, like this is what, you know, five things you didn't notice in this one show. Yeah. And like, I've tried those videos, but I'm always like, people follow me. I have to do something that's so unique. They can't find it anywhere else. And that's why they're mm -hmm. going to follow me. And if I'm not providing something new, then I'm not really doing my job. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate that. But what, what about you? Do you thank you. D yeah. Did you start TikTok? Like, did you know that it was going to become what it became for you? And like, I don't know, where do you see oh, it going? Oh no. I mean, well, this is only about a year old for me, my TikTok. So oh, oh my gosh. yeah, I had no intentions because I didn't even make this on my Silestine account. I made an alternate account on like, like late Halloween of like last year, I want to say, um, oh. I made creep time and then I made one video telling a scary story. My creepers know this story, like the back of their hand, because I've told it so many times, that. but, but, um, it was about room 1046 and that's where I got those 10,000 views. And I was like, I have never had this much attention on me. And I was like, maybe, maybe this is what I'm really good at. Maybe I have a, like a passion and like a, a knack for telling stories. So I just kind of experimented with that and kept going. And then brand deals came and a lot of doors started to open, but I also know that this is probably not the end game. It is just an introduction yeah. of me to mm -hmm. the larger world of Hollywood, probably. I mean, I too mm -hmm. have, I, early on, I got optioned for a show. So like, I don't know if I've, I've actually told this story, but early on, I got so approached by, yeah, I got approached for by a network. Um, and it was kind of going to be like a YouTube series. It wasn't supposed to be on like a streaming platform or anything. It was like a test run. I want to say like a beta series where they wanted to send me to haunted locations and I would be like the on-air personality. And I was like, you know, I love the concept of that. I think that it would be detrimental to me right now because I knew the time commitment of that. 
I knew what that would mean for me. And I knew that I would not be able to keep up with, because I probably wasn't even at like half a million followers when I got approached Mm -hmm. for that. I'm like, I, and I, I talked this over with a friend of mine at CAA and I was like, what do you think about this? And he was really honest. He's like, I think that it would slow you down in the momentum you already have building on TikTok. And he was kind of right because I stuck with it and then moved on to a million and then 1.5 million and it's going to keep going. But Mm -hmm. I would still love to see that transition. I probably have more weight now, I would say, to like walk into a meeting, walk into a room and sit down and say, I would want a show and I want better terms and I want like this included. And I want I want Stu to be my co-host on it. Like, but yeah, I, too, would love to put out a book. I would love to have a show. I would love to host things. And truthfully, I would love to like keep doing the podcast full time. The podcast has been just one of the most beneficial things for me because I don't know. Have you experienced this? Probably, probably not because you're a little more like straight to camera giving your opinion, but I have run into the roadblock a lot of the time where I am favored for the content I create and not necessarily for me. And doing, doing the podcast has been immensely helpful for like the saliency issue of Silasine. Yeah. Making you more three-dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've noticed that, um, with TikTok, it's like, I know that like people are coming to me because they want to be educated and not necessarily always caring about me. And I noticed that like, honestly, for me more on Instagram is where the people that really are interested in me go, but like that, Mm -hmm. I I could see where like podcasting, you like, you can't rely on a one-sided gimmick for like an hour long podcast. So like the different sides. I'm like, watch me. (laughs) I know, right? Yes. But like, it's, yeah, I think that's really fascinating that you say that, that it's, it's helped you kind of show more sides of yourself because you can really only show so much of yourself in a three minute or less video. And and people expect a certain thing from you on TikTok if that's how they every found time. you. Every yeah. time. Yeah, they don't want you to deviate a lot of the time. It can be really hard and jarring for them when you do something yeah. outside of it. Sometimes yeah. it works, but very rarely. Yeah. And and I love what you said too. Like, sorry, I don't know like how I'm like rambling. I just love what you yeah, said though about good. Okay, good. I love what you said about um the like turning it down and that's a conversation i always have with people is like you want to build your leverage like i think what happens is so many people want a shortcut to their goal whether that's a show whether that's Mm -hmm. you know being the face of whatever it is like they want a shortcut and like i'm sure they're awesome and they would be great at it but what you have to understand is like so many of these companies like they like the production companies and stuff they're not going to put a ton of budget behind something unless they know that it's going to work and like you only have so many chances to like really go with something like that and it's way better for you to wait until you have leverage and you can do it on your terms but like if you go into it with like 10,000 followers and you think that they're going to roll out the red carpet for you, the reality is you're probably just a guinea pig and they're figuring out something for the next, for the big person who they're actually going to get. And it's sad. And people, Mm -hmm. I, I always assume the benefit of people and like, that's not always the case, but I think subconsciously that's what happens is that the people that haven't built their own audience or leverage yet, like you, like you either get super lucky or you have to be willing to put yourself out there and try to build the leverage before you are taken seriously in those conversations. No, you're, you're so right. Like 
the hurdle, mm-hmm. honestly, is like trying to get past the fear of being the case study of a failure, I think. And yeah. that's what I was fearful of. I was like, I don't want to walk into this if I don't feel that my core audience is behind right. me enough to like mm-hmm. really get something like this off the ground. And I also, like you're saying, like, I don't know that they would have that much confidence in me. Because like mm-hmm. technically on paper, yeah, you might have more followers than like a certain ce- like celebrity talent. But there's a difference between... like stats like that versus name recognition and familiarity I think and it would take a lot of that for me to feel secure about like walking into a project like that but I'm also like very impulsive to the point where I'm like I should just say yes to anything that gets my face stamped on something at some point I'm like because how do you reach that point how do you get to the point where people do recognize you by face or by name or like by your brand you know unless it's just repeat imagery yeah and and I think um, and I think that's something like to because I always say too like, you know, the the biggest successes are like the most viral videos, the most viral formats or whatever were like fail like hundreds of failed videos that got them to that idea, mm-hmm. and like being willing to fail and one managing expectations, knowing that whether you're working with Netflix or you're trying a thirty second TikTok on your account like like one out of like only one out of 30 of those is going to succeed. So like manage expectations. And I always say, if you're trying something new with like a production company or whatever it is, this isn't like necessarily my forte. I'm digital media, but like doing it as low lift as possible, figuring out like your idea with as minimal budget as it takes. And then as you see signal, then you can start getting investments and getting people involved. But like, I always tell people, I'm like, manage your expectations and just know that, like, you're probably going to fail 29 times before you get to that number one thing. So, like, save your money and, like, try to figure it out for as little bit of budget as possible. And then once you see that spark, then you can dive in and, like, really get people involved. But, like, knowing that, like, you're going to fail no matter what until you get to that point. I think that's a great way to frame it. That's probably a great way to like button us up here. It's like a little like yeah. send off for everybody who's ever interested in content creation. But also like it is the it is the weird thing that so much of this is just trying to capture lightning in a bottle. And we're, mm-hmm. we press every single day trying to do it. And it's always informed. We're always like, what's topical? What, what's done well in the past? Like, how can I improve upon my content? But truthfully, it really, it really is like a crapshoot every time. Every time I post, I'm like, this could go so south. Or it could be incredible. Like, mm-hmm. but Kokomo, yeah. this was such a great conversation. You are so smart. <laughs> this was so, so fulfilling. I'm so happy I had you on. Everybody, please go check out Kokomoko's accounts. She is fantastic. She is the go to zeitgeist, I think, for everything that is trending, what is coming next. And she is the pop cultural zeitgeist. And for that, we will say goodbye, everybody. Bye.